our Bible readings are from Leviticus 23, 33 to, 30, 33 to 44, and Revelation 21, 1 to 8. Please hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no you shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day, shall be a solemn a day of solemn rest and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest and you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook and you shall rejoice before the lord your god seven days you shall celebrate it as a feast to the lord for seven days in the seventh year it is a statute forever throughout your generations you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in the, in the booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. And then the second reading is Revelation 21, 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will bless his God, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's start our time with just a moment of silent prayer that each of us would just ask that God would speak to us through his word, that we would be challenged, that we would hear, that we wouldn't be distracted, let's be honest. There's been those sermons where you can start to plan the rest of your day, plan your week, get distracted, ponder about other things, start worrying about the things that are filling your life. So let's have a moment's silence. I encourage each of us to pray that God would speak to us today. And then I'll pray and lead us in.
Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us hear what you would say to us now through your word. Lord, that you would keep us from being distracted. Lord, the worries of life, the things that actually we're very attracted to and thrill us to think about. Lord, all that's going on in our lives, all the things that need to get done. Lord, all these things, we pray that you'd help us be able to concentrate now, put those aside for a time, give them all to you. And Father, to hear what you say, Lord, we need to hear your voice. Lord, unless we hear your voice, we are led astray. And so, Father, help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Clint just read to us what is called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Over the last couple of weeks and this week, we've been remembering the three autumn festivals of Israel. And we're particularly doing them at this time because it ties in with when the Jews themselves are celebrating some of those festivals. And so we're up to the last one, which is the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And after chatting and some conversations over the week, I thought rather than just focus on that, let's think about our journey to that feast and then consider the feast. There's some thoughts about what happens between now and then and how we get there. And so this morning, there's an outline which some of you might have. It'll, a simpler one will appear on the screen, our journey to the feast. And that feast is the Feast of Tabernacles in its full fulfillment. And so that really means we're going to be thinking this morning about what happens next. If you read the Apostle Paul, he thought Christ would return in his day. If you just read a lot of the text plainly. If you grew up with my dad and he's still living when I was young, the Lord's going to come in our day. He's, we talk with others. Each generation rightly leaves and lives with the imminent return of Jesus Christ. But what if we die? What if today we die or something happens in your life over the next few years or Christ doesn't come back for another, I think one of the songs said 10,000 years. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. That means we're all going to die before Jesus comes back. And so this morning is the journey to the feast and thinking about that in the light of eternity. World's got lots of different ideas about what happens when we die. Some people believe you just get another chance. Reincarnation, you just come back and come back and come back. So what happens in this life isn't utterly crucial. You talk to those who don't know the Lord and there's a death. It's quite sad, really. A vacuous hope. They're in a better place. It's a platitude. They don't really know what they're saying. They don't believe in God, many people today. They're just saying he's in a, or they are in a better place. But what does that even mean? Because when we all die, we don't all go to a better place. Jesus makes that quite clear. Jesus makes it quite clear that we don't just have this cycle of reincarnation to try and get things right. Jesus says no to that too. Some people want to say that when you die, you all just go to heaven. And we want to believe that. But Jesus says, no, that doesn't happen either. Some people just think that's it. The evolutionary world that holds fast to an atheistic view, a humanistic view, believe you die, that's it. There's nothing more. But Jesus says, no, that's not true. I'm sure you've heard other people how they talk about death. Some people just ignore it. But the Bible tells us, and we read it in Ecclesiastes, as Solomon, the man who's wiser than any other man's pondering life and everything. And he says, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Which means whether we're acknowledging it or not, there's a sense in which every human being has a sense of eternity. That this isn't it. There is more to come. That when you die, it's not just nothing. The way we shut that out is to suppress that reality. God's built that into the hearts of people, a sense of eternity, but we suppress it as we suppress the knowledge of God. Creation declares there's a God, but we suppress it. But Solomon then also says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. 
in a whole culture and society. And as we grow up, it's all about feasting, going to the house of feasting, living in denial of death, putting all the elderly and the infirmed in nursing homes or locking them away. So we all get this perception of health and life. Funerals used to be very public. So you knew death was imminent. We all were reminded we were dying, not being told constantly to live with the denial of what's happening, not being constantly trying to live as if we're not aging, trying to have plastic surgery or go into the gym constantly, all these things, trying to live in denial of what's actually happening. But Jesus tells us plainly that all those things aren't the way forward. Jesus, the Son of God, makes it plain. There is an eternity. How we live now matters. Responding to God now matters. And so that's what we're going to look at because ultimately those who belong to God are going to see the fulfillment of what is called the Feast of Booths. And it's a glorious eternity. And so with that outline, you'll see, first again, we're going to think how to think rightly, what God has to say. And then we'll think how to live and to love each other rightly on the light of that truth. And so three transitions, essentially, that we're going to face if we were to die before Jesus comes. We're going to go from life to death. One day you will be at your funeral. We will be no more in the land of the living. But then there's, as we've heard last week and touched on, there will be a day of resurrection. We're going to go from death to resurrection. And then as we'll consider particularly today too, then you're going to go from a resurrection into eternity. So the journey through death unto resurrection and into the new creation, eternity. So let's think about this. What happens when we die as we're journeying our way to the feast? What happens for the believer? Now, there's a few passages to read. That's why I've put on those sheets. So feel free to listen or look them up. But let's consider what the Apostle Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, because he's potentially going to die. And the Apostle Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's gain in death. If I'm to live in the flesh, as we are now, that means fruitful labor for me, living for Jesus. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, is to die and be with Christ, for that is better by far. Consider what Jesus said to the thief on the cross in Luke 24. The thief had acknowledged his sin. He had looked to Jesus and he saved. And Jesus says to him, well, he says, first, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus speaks about a rich man and Lazarus, a poor man. Lazarus trusts in Jesus, the poor man. The rich man has no need for God. He thinks... But the poor man dies and the rich man dies and the poor man is taken to what's referred to as Abraham's side. He's with Abraham in a wonderful place, a place of comfort at his death. And one more, consider the words of Jesus in Mark 12. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. It doesn't say I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, or I was the God of Jacob. I am today. And so Jesus says he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so what does the Bible tell us? If we have trusting in Jesus, we've put our hope in him, we've repented of our sins, that if the time comes that you and I die and we cease to live in the flesh, we will continue to live in our spirit. The moment you die, you're going to be gathered up to be with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the thief on the cross, the apostle Paul, all those who have died in the faith. And on the day you die, you'll be spiritually alive with the Lord in paradise. That's where they are. It's a wonderful place. It's not the final kingdom of heaven. We'll get there together. But that's where we await together with the Lord. And Paul says it's better by far being there with Jesus in the spirit than living as we are now in the flesh. 
But what of the unbeliever? It's not the same. In 2 Peter 2.9, we read this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and here's the part, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Now, some translations in verse 4 go with hell. But the word there is not the regular word that's translated hell in the Bible. That's the word Gehenna. That's the fire. The word that's translated there is the word Tartarus. And to the Greeks, that was the abyss. Jesus talks about the devil and the angels being in the abyss. You read it in Revelation. Like a dark, gloomy chamber. And that's where the sinful angels are being kept under punishment until the day of judgment. And here we see too, the Lord says he knows how to keep the unrighteous, those who have not trusted in God, those who have lived in sin, but have died in the flesh. The Lord knows how to keep them too under punishment until the day of judgment. And what happened to the rich man who died, that ignored Lazarus all his life and lived to please himself? We read in Luke 19, verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that's the place of the dead, being tormented. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in this flame. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. That's from verse 26. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. It's fixed, separated. In verse 27, Lazarus, sorry, the rich man, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for our five brothers so that they may be warned so they won't come here too. The rich man died in the flesh but taken to a place of suffering. And he's wanting his brothers who are alive. He wants to urge them to repent, but he can't let them know because he's already crossed over. And so what does the Bible say will happen in that first big transition from dying in the flesh to, to what comes next? If you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you'll be held in a place of punishment until the day of judgment. But if you have trusted in Jesus, you'll be held in a place of paradise, of joy with Jesus. And so you don't cease to exist when you die. You don't go into some sort of a soul sleep and into this limbo place until the day of judgment. The moment you die, you're either in the place of the wicked or the place of the righteous, consciously waiting until the day of judgment. So just be told in the Bible, it's appointed for us to die once and then to face judgment. And that's why you, when you die, you'll be in the place of the wicked or in the place of the righteous. It's fixed. Nothing changes. The next big transition is judgment day. So the truth is, that is where we'll be until the trumpet sounds. And that leads us to our second transition from death to resurrection. So having died, if the Lord delays coming for 10,000 years and we've trusted in Jesus, you and I, we're going to be with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Most wonderfully, we'll be with the Lord in paradise. But the day will come when the first of the autumn feasts will be fulfilled, the Feast of Trumpets. On that day, the trumpet will sound and we will receive resurrection bodies. So we've been with the Lord spiritually, but the trumpet will sound and we'll be raised to life again. As good as paradise will be, like Paul says, it's going to be better by far. It will not be as good as our final state. Even though being spiritually in paradise with Jesus is wonderful compared to being here in the flesh, being in our resurrection bodies with the Lord forever will be better again still. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 52.
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 16, 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Abraham will rise. Isaac will rise. Jacob will rise. The apostle Paul will rise. And in God's timing, potentially we will arise. Then we who are alive, those who are alive at that time, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. And then the festival to follow, the day of trumpets, is the day of atonement. Because we see that the day Jesus comes back is the day of wrath. There's a common picture in the Bible or parallel between the days of Noah and the flood. When God deluged this whole world by water, he used water to bring judgment on the earth. The Bible says there will be a fire that will come at the end of the age. And as the world was deluged by fire, God will bring wrath upon the earth through fire. Turn with me to Matthew 24. Verse 30. Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. The world will see Jesus coming. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will know he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the earth. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect, those who are his people, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Down to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Down to verse 42. We are urged to stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known on what part of the night the thief is coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Like a thief in the night, the Lord will return. For the believer, it'll be a day of salvation. But for the wicked, it'll be a day of wrath and judgment, for they will be swept away by the righteous wrath of God because sin must be punished. But Christ will be the ark, the place of shelter, the place of security. He will gather his people under his wing to his place of refuge. And the Bible reminds us too that the resurrection that comes is not just of the righteous, but there will be a resurrection of the dead. So if you die today in your sin, you will not dodge the judgment seat of God. You won't miss it because God will just bring you to life again and you'll have to look him in the face. The wicked that die will be raised and we'll all ultimately have to come before the judgment seat of Christ forever. John 5. Turn with me there. John 5 verse 25. Jesus is speaking. John 5 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead, that's all the dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority 
to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Ultimately, on the day Christ comes, the trumpet sounds, both the dead and the wicked, those who have been gathered in the place of the unrighteous, being kept in punishment till the day of judgment, will be brought forth again. Those who have been taken to the place of righteousness, of the righteous in paradise, will be brought forth again. And there Jesus says, those who have done good, they are those who have brought forth the good fruit of God in their life. That good fruit is godliness, holiness, which only can come about by being made alive in Jesus through repenting of your sin and putting your trust in him. Only then can you bring forth the life that God's, that shows you are his. The fruit is the evidence of being alive in Jesus. Those who have done good to eternal life because they are the ones who have found new life in Jesus. They're not being saved for the good because of their good fruit, but it shows they've been saved. And those who have done evil, those who have continually borne bad fruit, had no thought for God, wanting to continue in their sin, it'll be evident. Bad fruit will be all over their tree, their life. Unable, unwilling to live for God. And it will show that they should rightly face the eternal judgment. Jesus says that they're coming. He'll divide all people. All people will be gathered forth from the place of the dead. And he will sort everyone. As a shepherd sorts the sheep and the goats, the sheep on his right, those who are his people, who have repented of their sins, have brought forth good fruit in their life, the goats on his left, those who have continued to deny him and reject him. And Jesus will say this, Matthew 25, verse 41. He will say to those on his left, the goats, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We should ponder that journey. Three score and ten, we often say, years we live, 70 years. And then we'll die if the Lord comes after that. And so your first big transition, you will die. You'll go to the place of the righteous or the wicked. Know that because Jesus is telling you that's what will happen. But then another great transition will come on the day the Lord Father in heaven says, today is the day of judgment. He alone knows that day and you will be brought back to life for another big transition because what happens at the judgment seat of God will determine where you spend eternity. And that now brings us towards the Feast of Booths because the day of wrath is the day of atonement. Those who have found shelter in the blood of Jesus that resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous is unto eternity for both of them. And for the believer, we will enter eternal joy. We read we'll be with Jesus forever. And the thing we're going to see next, our eternity will not be this sort of floating around in heaven. You sort of see those cartoons and you see us on our cloud with a harp or sort of this spiritual wafting as disembodied spirits know we see that the bible teaches will be raised bodily a glorious body like jesus to live on earth the new creation turn with me to 2 peter 2 peter chapter 3 after hebrews and just before revelation 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll start at verse 5. Tonight we're watching that, that documentary on evolution and showing that there is evidence and what the Bible says is reasonable. In fact, it's true because God says it's true. But what is evolution in a sense? It is about providing a means to consider a godless beginning. 
how we can just come forth without God. So we don't have to be accountable to God. So we can live in total denial of a day of judgment. But our world also now looks to the end of days and is trying to come up with a godless ending. We should be good stewards of the earth, but a lot of things to do with climate change and other things is about fearing how the world will end and there's no factor of God in it. It's again, it's just a naturalistic explanation of the end. But as the beginning was supernatural, the end will be supernatural. God will bring about the end. And we read this in 2 Peter 3 verse 5. This is the wicked, for they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these and the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Jesus made this world. He brought forth through the power of his word. He is the word. And through that, his very power, he will use that to bring the world to an end. And with that very word, he's going to bring forth a new creation and a new heaven. And it will come like a thief in the night, that grand, great day. And this world will pass away. That boggles our mind. But God is God. He made it. And he will recreate a new heavens and a new earth. And the Feast of Booths ultimately looks forward to that joyful and glorious dwelling place. In Leviticus 23, which Clint read for us, it says, On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, so at the end of the harvest, judgment day is a harvest day. Everyone living in the dead will be gathered up and sorted, some to the barn, some to the fire. And so this feast comes at the end of the ages and you'll celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before God, the Lord your God, for seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You will celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. For Israel, the Feast of Booths was the Feast of Feasts. It was the happiest. It was the most joyful was the one of all the feasts that they really looked forward to because it was the party. It was the celebration. It was the joy and the gladness, remembering God's provision and God's abundance. And for the Jews and God's people, a reminder that he has delivered them. He has brought them out and he's brought them out into a place of rest and celebration and joy. And that's our great hope as Christians of full deliverance from sin and death, the world of suffering unto eternal life and the never-ending kingdom of God that will endure into all eternity in the new creation. From the moment Christ comes back, there's a sense in which the Feast of Booths begins to be celebrated. For we will be gathered to him. He will establish his kingdom and we will be with him. But ultimately, it'll be as we dwell with eternal bliss in the new creation that it will find its fullness of fulfillments with all glory and wonder. For we would have reached the end of our journey. It's the destination, it's our home. Our exodus will have come to an end and we will celebrate. Interesting as you consider the spring festival. So, Passover. 
Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits. Passover was a day festival. And Christ came and he satisfied Passover on a day. He died on the cross. Feast of First Fruits was a day festival. And Christ came and he rose as the first fruits from the dead on the day. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the one that lasts for seven days. And of those three festivals, it's the enduring feast. Because what Christ did at Passover with his death and resurrection abides with us continually. We are forever made holy. We are God's people forever. So of those three festivals, Passover and first fruits accomplishes something in God's people that lasts forever. Doesn't run out. We'll be as saints forever. And with the autumn festivals, the day of trumpets will happen on a day. Christ will come. The day of wrath, the day of atonement will happen on a day. And that will happen. But the feast of autumn that goes for seven days is the feast of booths. And so we should understand that's the part of the festival that's telling us something that's going to endure forever. And so as at Passover we are made saints forever, at the sound of the trumpet we will be at the feast of booths forever, rejoicing, celebrating, at rest with God. And so we should turn to Revelation 21. For there we see and get a taste of what is to come. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 7. This is for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, raised to life, gathered to him. And as Peter told us, on the day that Christ comes like a thief in the night, ultimately that will lead to the new old heaven, this heaven and earth being burned up. And then John writes, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Making everything new. A bit like your old car and your new car. The old car has all the creaks and the rattles and the, just all the problems. The new car just, has a, just works. We've never experienced creation itself uncorrupted. We've never experienced this creation without looking through sinful eyes. And yet God's bringing forth a creation that is new, uncorrupted, perfect, better than Eden. No tears, no dying, no pain. All the things that cause you to ache mentally or physically in your life will be no more. All the things that we ever had to endure because of sin and suffering in this life will be no more. The curse will be gone. Everything will be incorruptible. I'm going to say uncorruptible. Incorruptible. It'll be perfect. But in a way that will bring you peace and rest and joy and gladness and thrills. And you'll be with God, the most wonderful of all. You'll be with the Son forever. And it will never end. Because you've reached the end of the journey. You're at the fulfillment of the feast. But for the unbeliever, for those who have not sorted their life out with God, verse 8 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, all those who continue to live in sin don't think much of their sin, won't repent of their sin. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire. That's the Gehenna, which is the second death, 
The wicked are dire, held in the place of the unrighteous and the abyss. But passing through the judgment seat, they will end up in the fire. And so it matters. Where does your journey end? Where will you be in a thousand years from now? On the day of judgment, will we be gathered to the left or to the right? Will we be gathered to God's side or cast into hell? Will it be the day of your gladness, the day the church, the bride of Christ is wed to the groom? Or will it be a day of your mourning and anguish and sorrow? And so some things to think about in the, as we consider that, if we're to live rightly with this truth, if we're to love rightly, the loving thing that I can say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus and if you know family or friends who don't know Jesus, the way of love, if this is true, is to warn them, to tell them, if you die in your sin, you're destined to die once and after that to face judgment and then you'll be cast into hell. Repent. Come to Christ. He is slow to anger and abounding in compassion and love. He will forgive you your sins. He'll make you as if you had never sinned. He will see you perfectly. And you'll be gathered with the thief and with Abraham and Isaac on the day you die to paradise and you'll be raised to Christ's side to enter into the eternal kingdom. But as we seek to encourage each other, what will it look like for us to really love each other if this is true? And it is true because Jesus tells us. If you love those around you, this is what you're going to remind them of. You're going to talk to each other. We're going to encourage each other. If they if you know your brother or sister in Christ is suffering with something, remind them of this hope. If a brother or your sister is dying, remind them of this hope. A wonderful old man became a good friend when I started at a church down in Sydney. I really only met him when he'd gone to the nursing home and through his final days, but he was dying, but he had a wonderful faith. Elf Blundell, and he put his faith in Jesus and he knew exactly where he's going and he'd remind him of this hope and his faith, face would be beam. And then when he couldn't speak, he would just hold your hand and as you'd remind him of this hope, he would just squeeze your hand. If you see your brother or sister being caught up in worldliness and thinking my way I'm living doesn't matter, if you really love them, you'll say, this is the hope we have. Don't forsake it. Don't be like Esau and exchange it for a cup of soup or for some sexual pleasures for a time. Trust in Jesus. Keep living for him. In the midst of COVID, don't panic. Because this is your journey. This is where it ends. COVID is just a blimp on the way. But I hope that COVID in some way has got you thinking about where this ends and we should encourage each other and remind each other when we come in from the world or from school or from uni and we've got all the other voices telling us all the things we should worry about or what we've got to fear and we remind each other of the hope we have we get our feet back on the rock and we rest so applying this truth in love to each other is to keep reminding us of this and then that leads to the next one live for eternity God's placed eternity in your heart. He's showing us in his word what eternity will look like for you with Christ. It will shape your priorities. It has to. Life and doctrine go together because the way you live shows if you actually believe the doctrine. The way you live actually shows if in your heart of hearts you believe it's true. If you live a thoroughly worldly, godless life and you say, I believe that, I won't believe you. Because the way you live shows... That's not what you really believe. We believe it. It will change the way we live. It will show where we're storing up our treasures. You'll be like people of Hebrews 11, like Moses, who he was in the royal family. He could have had all the pleasures of this world, but it says he would rather be ashamed for Christ. And he turned his back on it. Abraham was willing to wander around homeless in a sense because he knew where his journey ended. Joseph knew where his journey ended. He said, take my bones. I know this is not where it ends. Like the Cambridge Seven, if you've ever read about them, read about them. Seven guys training to be doctors at Cambridge. They came from families of status and wealth. They had a privileged education. 
pretty sure it was CT Stud that challenged them. And they said, all right, we're going to get our training, but we're going to go over to China. And we're going to care for them over there, but we're going to tell them about Jesus. CT Stud, he was a cricketer of cricketers. He was the superstar, megastar sportsman of his day. He had all the fame. His nation in England worshipped him. But he became a Christian. And he put all that aside to go and tell people about Jesus. Countess of Huntington during the Great Awakening and the, the, what God did in England. Countess, wealthy. Think British, think big estates. She lived her life in a way so she wanted to not end up with treasures on earth at the end. She spent it and gave it away and she funded ministry and she provided the funds needed for churches and church planters and evangelists and preachers all the way. Are you living for eternity? Are you living in an exodus? Because your journey does not end here, but ends in heaven. And so be fruitful. We're told, check our tree. What sort of fruit are we bringing out in our life? Because as we look at our life, as we live for Jesus in obedience to his word, as we live for the king and as we wait our king, we see the fruit of that in our life. It's there to reassure us that our journey ends well. We're living for Jesus. How will your journey end? I'm going to lead us in a brief prayer, but I'm going to leave a time of silence and I encourage you to come before God, repent of your sins. That's what you need to do. Confess, Lord, I haven't been putting my life in the order that it should be or living with the right priorities. Pray for those who, in your family or friends who you know aren't, their journey will not end well. So I'll lead us off. If anyone wants to pray out loud in response, we see in the Bible again and again, people respond to the word. When I hear people pray in response to the word or during the service, it's encouraging me and it challenges me how to respond to the word. So feel free to pray quietly, but if anyone wants to pray out loud and then Clint will come and close and we'll bring our service to the final stages. Father God, we thank you so much that you've made it possible by your grace through faith in your son to take part in the most extraordinary and wondrous of journeys with a destination that is more wonderful than we can begin to imagine and that we shall be with you forever. Lord, please press this upon our hearts. And Lord, if we know our journey will not end well, that hell awaits, Lord, please convict our hearts that we might call out to Jesus and share in this joy. Let's continue in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I confess to you, I, I'm hearing your word this morning, I almost want to come and be born again, again, and so I confess that I am a sinner, Lord, and, and you are the saviour, you are the, your son is the atoning sacrifice, and so, Lord, I pray that you would make me live in a manner that I'm awake, that I'm watchful that I'm listening for the trumpet and I'm conscious that it could come any moment, Lord, uh, waste or squander my life. Lord, make me live for eternity, live for your glory, to seek those that don't know you, the lost, Lord, that will be judged when that trumpet is finally blown. I pray that you'd encourage us all in this way that you'd rebuke us in this way, Lord, if we don't live in that perspective and then that view and that reality. You're alone a God, Lord, and we are but sinners, and yet through Christ we can be trees that bear good fruit. And so, Lord, I pray that not one of us here will be found on that day to have bad fruit, a tree that is dead and brings no glory to you. Jesus. Amen.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the provision that you've made, Lord, to save us, to cover us, to create a shelter when your day of wrath comes, Lord, and for the eternal home that you've prepared, Lord, and in your grace, when we didn't know you and rebelling against you, you called us, Lord, you put it into our heart to seek you, that you opened our eyes to see you and to believe, Lord, and that from beginning to end, you have been gracious and merciful to us, saving us, Lord. Father, I pray you help us to examine ourselves, Lord, and Lord, that you help us to see the signs, Lord, in us that tell us about what is precious to us, Lord, the, the way we spend our time, the way our thoughts operate, what's going through our mind most of the time, Lord, what do we put on our social media, how do we portray ourselves to the world, Lord, what do we spend our money on, our time, our resources, what grips our heart, Lord, what makes us anxious, what makes us angry, Lord, these things tell us about the things that are competing in our hearts with our affections for you, Lord, the things that we, that we want, Lord, more than we want you, and I pray that um, you help us to see these things, Lord, and to re repent, Lord, to turn away from them, and to confess unto you and to ask for forgiveness and trust that you do forgive lord and i pray too that you help us to see the fruit lord the little ways in which you're changing us little ways in which we're growing in patience or growing in our desire to please you um, responding differently to hard situations lord and to to be encouraged um to, and to just to be thanking you, Lord, for the way that you are transforming us, Lord, as part of your saving work, Lord. Um, just ask that you do these things for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we are weak and frail. We are suffering from our sins, uh, the afflictions of them, Lord. We just pray that you would please draw near to us. May your face shine upon us. Help us to live for your glory. Help us to remember that right now counts forever. And we pray, Lord, that if any of us here are not trusting in you, Lord Jesus, that we would place our faith in you and that we would love you and that we would live for your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.